0: Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you guys. And uh, as we uh, look at the second chapter of Ruth, how about we pray? Our Father God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Uh, Lord, this story seems to be just an average kind of run-of-the-mill story. So help us to see how you are moving, not only through this story, but in and through our lives as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I was 18, I moved out of my parents' home. I went a, about 1,000 k's north of Maury to a place called Townsville. I'm not sure if you've ever been to Townsville, but a beautiful place. And my mum, among other things, she gave me she gave me, the Idiot's Guide to Cooking. And I'm not sure what that says she thought about me, but that's what I had. And uh, after a couple of weeks of steak and pasta and macas and Subway for dinner, I thought, you know what? I'm going to cook something from the Idiot's Guide to Cooking or whatever it was called, right? And uh, so I, I opened up and it, and I saw that I could cook an easy roast chicken. I thought that's the first thing I'm going to cook other than a steak or some pasta. I could do that, right? And so I got all the stuff together. And then one Saturday night, uh, uh, no one was in, in my house at the time. Everyone had gone out. I was going to cook this roast chook. And yet, as I went down, there was all these things, these shorthand words that I just didn't understand. I remember reading, it needed a pur of something. And I thought, what's a purr? I went through all the kitchen stuff, looking for a pur for about half an hour. I call, then I called up my mum, because I didn't know who to turn to. And I called her up, I said, Mom, I'm using your cookbook. She goes, Great. She goes, but I can hear it's not going well. I said, Mom, what's a tub of per? And she goes, it's a tablespoon you drongo. Right? And that's what she said, because my mom cares for me like that. But you know. But then I got it all together, I got the chook and I put it in, cut the cut everything up. And when I took it out, I cut into it and it still was pink. And so I didn't know what to do. So I just put everything back in for the amount of time that the recipe says to put it in, right? Another couple of hours or whatever it was. And then I fell asleep, and that's when I was woken up to smoke everywhere and uh, the fire alarm going because the chicken had caught on fire. And so I cleaned up, I threw everything out, and I went and got Macca's. And then a couple of months later, I was there when my mum cooked a roast chicken. And what was interesting about it was, everything went like clockwork. And there was things that she was doing, She and everything came together, and then, bam, it was all on the table. It was like this kind of weird, dark art that I just didn't get. And I was like, how do you get from all these disparate things happening to... A perfect Sunday, roast chicken. I just didn't get it. And one of the things when we look at the Bible, it seems like we read the book of Revelation and there is Jesus on the throne and everyone's around him, praising him. And we go, well, how does all the messiness in our life actually get to that? We just don't get it. How is God working through our lives to get to that point? I don't know about you, but I look at my life and go, man, I, I see all these threads, and yet we're meant to get to there. How does God work through average lives like yours and mine? The reason I ask that question is because in Ruth 2, Ruth 2 is a story about average Iron Age people, sorry to be a bit geeky historically, but Iron Age people, they're just hanging out, doing their thing. This is an average Story. This would not make the news. And yet, it's not an average story because God is working through it. And guess what? Do you realize your story is not average because the God of the universe is working through your story and your life too? So, see, we are going to go and talk or listen to average people. We're going to see three things as we look at this passage. As we're answering the question, how does God work? We're going to see a sovereign God, a righteous man, and a gracious God. A sovereign God, a righteous man, and a gracious God. If you weren't here last week, we, we've started uh, going through the book of Ruth. It's four chapters, four weeks. Last week we saw just, it, it was it was terrible. Naomi had uh, lost her husband and her two sons. One of her her uh, daughter's-in-law decided to go back to Moab. The other, Ruth, has decided to stay with her. And Naomi is just going, my life is bitter. I don't know what's going to happen. And we don't know what's going to happen. But actually, God, who is sovereign, does. Let's have a look at the first point, a sovereign God. Have a look at verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, can I just ask this question? Why start there? It's kind of weird. Like he is, uh, we finish chapter one with everyone in Bethlehem. We're wondering what's going to happen. And then suddenly the, the author just goes, "Oh, let me introduce you to Boaz. So see what's happening here. It's a bit like a movie. I'm not sure if you ever watch a movie and, and you see a character come in and you go, why is why does that character come in for about a minute? It has a conversation and just leaves. What the director is doing at that point is going, keep your eyes on this guy because he's very very important for the rest of the story. And what the author is doing is keep your or saying keep your eyes on this Boaz because he's a very 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 important man. And notice who he is. He's a relative of Naomi's husband. He's from the clan of Elimelech, the same clan. But did you notice also that he is a man of standing? He is a man of character. He is a good man, as we're going to see. And yet, what does, uh, what does Ruth say? Have a look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Na- Naomi is doing what a lot of people who were poor in Israel would do, and they would go and pick the grain that would fall behind the harvesters. Here's what Deuteronomy 24 says as it comes up on the screen. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines. Again, leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I commanded you to do this. Here is God saying the way you care for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, is by actually not being scrupulous in the way you harvest, is by leaving some for them. And that is what Ruth is thinking. And so she goes out. But notice verse 3. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, did you see that phrase, as it turned out? In the original, it is, she chanced upon chancing Boaz. The the idea is, they're saying, she was very lucky. But what we know from the Bible is that luck doesn't happen in the Bible. This is not a stroke of luck. This is God so, so working his plan through these people. See, this is the hand of God at work. It was the hand of God in chapter 1, verse 1, to bring a famine. It was the hand of God to bring food in, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 6. It was the hand of God that Ruth and Naomi came back in harvest time for barley in chapter 1 verse 22 and here it is the hand of god that ruth lands in the field of a man she does not know but is a good man a man of her clan of her family and yet i dare say that ruth is scared Ruth is called, in this passage, did you notice? She is called a Moabite. They are the enemies of the Israelites, and so going to a a random field, she doesn't know what is going to happen. Remember chapter 1, verse 1. This is a time of judges. This is a time when all chaos is breaking loose. This is a time when women are totally mistreated. And I dare say she is looking at the threads of her life and going, what is God doing? And what we know through this is that God is bringing his plan together. He is caring for his people. Even though it feels like for her, her life is full of uncertainty and mess. One of the things uh, one of my grandmothers used to do is do tapestries I'm not sure if you've ever seen a woman do a tapestry, but what's really interesting about one side of the tapestry, the back side, is it's an absolute mess. That There's cords and threads going everywhere, and it seems like, you know, I don't know how you can make heads nor tails of it. And then you flip it over. And there is generally a beautiful picture. Your and our lives are a lot like a tapestry. We see the threads of mess on the backside of it, it seems like. We're we're trying to make heads nor tails of what God is doing as he weaves his story in our lives. But what is God doing? He is making a beautiful picture out of our lives. We can only see the one side of it. We don't see what God is doing on the other side. Ruth and Naomi were exactly the same. They looked at their lives and say, what is God doing with all these threads? God is making a beautiful picture out of their lives. See, the question is this. Is not, is God going to actually make all your life make sense right now? The question is, are you going to trust him? even when your life doesn't make total sense. I am so glad that in the really messy times, God was there with me. I can look back on those messy times and go, God was weaving my life together in a way that I'm so glad that I learned those lessons. I'm not not glad for the pain, the mess, but I'm glad that God was teaching me something through that. God was making me into the person that he wants me to be. God was setting me up for today through the hurts and the mess of the past. And that's what he's doing in your life also. The question is, will you trust him through it? Your eyes may not see what God is doing, but are you going to trust in the God who is working through your life? One of the reasons why we've got the book of Ruth in the Bible is that God is writing a story here where he's got caring control of all things and he's writing it in really big letters so that when we see his writing in very small letters in our lives, we would realize it's the same God who is writing both stories. Are you trusting in the God who is writing the story of your life? But also what we're going to see here is that not only is God sovereign, we're going to see a righteous man. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 4 with me. Just then, Boaz from Bethlehem and gre- sorry arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvest. The Lord be with you. Oh, just then, he just happens to rock up. We've been told about him before. Well, isn't a great that he just rocked up? No, God is actually knitting things together. And notice what he says, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Here is a good man that trusts God. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvest, harvesters, who does, does that young woman belong to? Now, that sounds very patriarchal, doesn't it? Like she's owned by somebody. But what you've got to realize is that's a very caring question. Is she married to someone? Is someone taking care of her? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvest, harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the sh- shelter. Two things. One, she's a Moabite. You've got to know that. But also, she's the Moabite that came back with Naomi. Bethlehem was a small town. This time, everyone would have known this. And also, did you see how hard she worked? she has been working from sun up till, till now. And so what does Boaz do? Boaz could have taken advantage of Ruth at this point. He had the power. She was a foreigner. She did not have any rights. But have a look what Boaz does, verse, verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Now, what, what you've got to realize is that if you are a person who, is, uh, who owns a field, you don't want a lot of poor people in your field because they're going to take all your, a lot of your crops. You want them gone, no. But he, he says, no, no, don't go anywhere. Stay with here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. Notice where he's saying, follow along after the women. The whole idea is this, that Ruth was meant to stay way out of the way of this harvesting procedure. The whole point is, Boaz is saying, no, no, stay close and make sure you pick pick up the food. That's going to be yours. What's the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women? I have told the men not to lay a hand on you and what, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Notice the water, uh, water. Back in this day, if you were a foreigner living in a foreign land, especially a woman, you would get water for, for the men of the land. Here, the men of the land get water for a woman who is a foreigner. Can you see how much Boaz cares for her? But did you notice also that there's that line that says, I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Why? Remember, have a look at verse Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It is in the days of the judges. At the end of the book of Judges, we're going to see, as we preach through it later on this year, that women were treated terribly in Israel. They were treated terribly. And so, Boaz here brings in what I think is the first anti-sexual harassment policy. He is saying even though she's a foreigner, even though she is unmarried, even though, basically, she is nobody. Men, you are not to treat her in any way that you want. You are going to treat her with dignity, honor, and respect. And notice her response, verse 10. At this she bowed bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And and then he goes on, Boaz replied, verse 11, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He is a righteous man who says, God has, uh, God, I'm praying that God blesses you because of your kindness that you have shown. And notice what she says in verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. She is saying, you have been so kind to me. Have you ever thought, what's different about Boaz? You'd think the men of the field, if they need to be warned not to lay a hand on her, he's cut from a different cloth. Why? I think it is because he remembers what God has done for Israel and for him. Here's what the book of Deuteronomy says. It's written maybe 50 to 100 years before Ruth. It says this, the Lord your God is... God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Here is Boaz living that out. He knows that God loves the fatherless. God loves the widow, and you, Boaz, are meant to love them. And he, he doesn't realize that God is loving Ruth, and by extension Naomi, through him. See, when Israel has a re- right relationship with God, the effects are compassion and justice among God's people. Ruth asks a question. She said, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Well, the answer is because Boaz is a man who has had his heart gripped by the God of the Bible. Because Boaz is a good man and God is a good God. One of the phrases that's come up a lot in the last few years is toxic masculinity. I wonder if you've heard a bit about that toxic masculinity. It's the idea that men use their power to subjugate, to oppress, to be violent towards women. And it goes without saying that as Christians, the Christian men in this room, but Christian men in general, should not have any part of toxic masculinity. The problem is our world almost says that all masculinity is toxic. That to be a man is in by itself toxic. So the question is, well, what should we be as men? And the problem is there's a bunch of men coming up on podcasts and all this kind of stuff, and it seems like the whole point about being masculine is to be as buff as you can, to smoke as many cigars as you can, to have your steak with a side of steak, to have as much beer, to be a Navy SEAL, whatever it is. And can I just say, that's not what being masculine is about. Notice how we didn't find out anything about Boaz's stature. He could have been really big and strong. Or he could have been like a short, unathletic computer programmer or something like that, right? You know, he could have been anything. We don't know whether he was a warrior or not. We just know how he cared for Ruth and by extension Naomi. How he goes out of his way to care for them. Ladies, can I just speak to the men? Guys, are you like Boaz? Are the women around you safe? Are the women in your life flourishing just like Ruth flourished because of Boaz? A number of years ago at my previous church, I was talking to a girl who, um, she started going out with a person that didn't follow Jesus, a guy that didn't follow Jesus. She stopped coming to church. And um, she was, uh, you know, she was slowly drifting away. And we went out for, for lunch. And I said, can, can I ask you, you you've, you've been involved in so many ministries and all this kind of stuff. Why, why are you going out with a person who's not a Christian? you're very beautiful, you know, I'm sure there'd be Christian guys who would want to go out with you. And she said, well, Hans, I've I've been out with Christians or so-called Christians, she said. I've seen the way Christian men treat women a lot of the time. And this guy, who's an atheist, treats me better than them. I wonder if the women of Marsfield Community Church would say that the men at their secular workplace treat me better than the men at Marsfield Community Church. I wonder if the men here are creating safe environments, not only for the women at church, but for the women in the workplace and the women in their families. Guys, don't be toxically masculine. And don't be a stupid version of masculinity that our world says, be like Boaz, but be like Jesus. Read the four Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See the way that Jesus treats women. He treats them with love and respect. He, he meets the woman at the well who's got this really terrible and sordid past and he treats her with gentleness and kindness. Boaz could have taken advantage in every way of Ruth but he, he starts by saying he is the first ever anti-sexual harassment policy. Guys, I wonder if you are a safe place for the women in your life. But here's the other thing: if you are here and you're in a in your a leadership in in a secular job, I wonder how the people under you are flourishing. Are they flourishing? Do they look to you and go, "Man, that person's a good boss"? Notice, notice how uh, you know Boaz cares. For his people. Straight up, he he greets them in the name of the Lord. They greet him straight back. He provides food for them and he provides a a massive amount of food for Naomi, so much that she had a doggy bag to take home. Brothers and sisters, if if you want to be a Christian, it's one thing to be a Christian at church, it's very easy to be a Christian at church. You've just got to sing the right things, pray the right things, all that kind of stuff. It's very easy to go to a growth group and be a Christian because you've just got to look kind of engaged and pray and I say amen at the right time. But I wonder if you're a Christian at work. And I wonder if the people that are reporting to you can see a difference in your life. Or are you just a terrible boss like all the rest of them? I remember a number of years ago, a woman came to a church that I was going to and she just rocked up. She'd never been to church in her life. And we were really excited that she was there and we, were, we said, look, what can we ask, why, why did you come a couple of weeks ago and why are you still here? And she said, because of my boss. And we're like, okay, fair enough. She said, well, uh, my boss is so kind and thoughtful to everyone. And what she saw is that when anything went bad, he put his name up, put his hand up, sorry, and said, It's my fault. When anything went good, he said, Oh, I've got a great team. She said that she made an error that cost the company, she thinks, about $70,000, a lot of money, more than she was getting paid at that time. He's been at the company for 15 years, and he said, Yeah, I'm sorry oh, that was totally my mistake. I should have made it. And, and she said, actually, it wasn't. But he took the blame. She went up to him and she goes, why did you do that? And he goes, well, I guess I took the blame because Jesus first took the blame for me. And she's like, what do you mean? And she goes, I'm a Christian. That's all she needed. And therefore, that Sunday when he, uh, after that, he said that. She walked around into the church around the corner from her and now she's a Christian. All because her boss was like Boaz. Are you a boss? No matter if you're male or female, are you a boss like Boaz? How much do you care for your people? Here is a righteous man. Are you like Boaz? Finally, let's have a look at our last thing. Our last point, a gracious God. Have a look at Verse 17 with me. It says this. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then the, then as she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. Now you've got you've to go, what's an ephah? Like I'm not sure if you've ever gone to the, your local fruit shop and go, could I have an ephah of carrots? It's roughly about 13 kilos. This is a lot of food. And can you imagine carrying 13 kilos if you're... You know, probably a quite a hungry Moabite lady she carries it home. But that shows you how God has been gracious to her, how Boaz has been gracious to her. She carried it back to town, verse 18. And her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The man, sorry, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said. To a daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Notice how Naomi's changed her tune. Remember chapter one; she's like, "God has made me bitter. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means uh, bitter." Now she sees actually God is working in my life. And God has been gracious to me. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Back in this day, if you were part of a family, and it didn't matter if your second cousin was in a really bad place, you were meant to be their guardian. If they got in trouble, you were meant to redeem them. And here... Naomi is saying, Boaz is the same guy. God has enabled you to go to the very field of the person who is meant to save you. God has so been gracious to Ruth and Naomi here. This is all God's doing, it's not chance, it is not luck. It was a very, very bleak situation. And yet, one of the things that we see in the Bible is that bleak situations set the stage for God's gracious intervention in the lives of his people. I don't know what what you are going through at the moment, but God is so still working in your life by his grace. He has not forgotten you And yet, just as the grace that he showed in Naomi's life and Ruth's life was a bit weird, a bit different, a bit unexpected, a lot of the time, the grace that God shows in our lives is kind of unexpected. It's a little bit different. We ask God to take our pain away. He gives us a community of faith to walk us with with us through that pain. We ask God to actually change our job situation. He gives us a book that helps us think about our work differently so we can keep being part of that work so that we may change it because we're like Boaz. We pray that God would do anything to save a family member, like my dad. And instead of my dad repenting at one of the many sermons that I preached when he was there, God in his sovereignty allows my dad to get cancer so my dad would repent of his sin and trust in Jesus. God's grace is comes about in very, very unexpected ways. God is working his grace out in your life. The question is, even though you may not be able to see it, are you going to trust in the God of amazing grace? One of my favourite stand-up comedians, I'm not sure if I should say this in church, but is a guy named Kevin Hart. Kevin tells a story of when he moved to a big city to to um, Really try and get at his acting career together. He's down a comedy career together. He was broke. He had no money, and he was scrambling money, was scrambling money together. And he called his mum, and he said, "Mum, uh, you know things aren't going well. I'm not getting the work that I want. I haven't got any money." And she goes, "Have you read your Bible?" And she, and he said, "No, I haven't read my Bible, Mum. Focus on the thing. I've got no money." She goes, "Have you read your Bible?" And she goes, no, I haven't read my Bible. Go and read your Bible. A couple of weeks later, when he hasn't paid the rent, calls up his mum, mum, I'm really desperate. I've got no money. Have you read your Bible? Mum, stop with that Bible nonsense. I need money. She goes, have you read your Bible? Mum, I don't want to read the Bible. Just stop it with that. A couple of weeks later, He calls her up again, Mum, I'm getting evicted. And she said, have you read your Bible? Oh, come on, Mum. I'm sick of this Bible stuff. She goes, go and read your Bible. So he puts his phone down. He's thinking, I'm getting evicted tomorrow. I'll just open up the Bible, see what it says. He opens up the Bible and a bunch of checks from his mum fall out of his Bible, enough to pay the first three months of rent and then some. Kevin Hart's mum was gracious to him in a way that he didn't expect. God was gracious to Ruth and Naomi in a way that I dare say they didn't re- expect. God was gracious to the world in a way he didn't expect. He became human and, and, and took the punishment for our sin by dying on a cross. God is a gracious God and he's gracious in ways we don't expect. The question is, now that we know or have been reminded of how he works, are we going to trust him through the ups and downs of life? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are a sovereign God. Thank you that you are a gracious God. You have shown grace to us in so many ways. Lord, I pray for, for the women in our church. May us men not exhibit toxic masculinity, but exhibit biblical masculinity, which makes these environments that we're a part of safe for women. May we be bosses and co-workers like Boaz, leaders like Boaz. But Lord, through the ups and downs of life, Help us to trust in you, the sovereign and gracious God of the Bible, who has shown that you work your grace in very unexpected ways, both in our lives currently. But you showed your amazing and unexpected grace through Jesus and what he's done for us. Help us to trust in him and in you. Amen. the great name of Jesus that has saved us. Let's stand and sing together, please.